morning, friends. All right. Uh, so a number of months ago, last September, we started a series called Three Years with Jesus. And uh, last Sunday, we wrapped up year one. Uh, so we're going to be doing some different things uh, this summer. For the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and 2 with a little intermission on Gen, uh, June 24th when the Chamberlains will be here to share and Dr. Dave Robinson uh, will be teaching us that morning as well. Um, and then uh, we'll have uh, some guest teachers late July, early August, so that'll be great. Um, so I want to think about uh, Genesis 1 and 2 and what it looks like for us to begin in the beginning because... Uh, um, there's a few things I want to talk about this morning before we really dive in, in in the weeks to come. And one is how we approach learning, how we approach gaining knowledge, how we approach the text in, in learning, uh, the scriptures in learning, um, and uh, where we begin exploring our faith and, and the way we view the world. Because here's the thing, we, uh, I feel like often when we look at the world and the worldview we have, we begin in Genesis 3 rather than Genesis 1. And so often when we view the world, we have a worldview of what theologians have called original sin and that we live in a fallen, sinful world that the first humans rebelled against God and chose autonomy from God. And so we face the world and we look at the world through the, this lens of what is called original sin. And my hope in this series is to bring us back to Genesis 1 and 2 and look at original blessing. Because there was something before sin, right? And it was blessing it was goodness, it was shalom, it was beauty. And uh, if we have the worldview, uh, especially when we, we look at us a, as humans, if the worldview is uh, what some theologians have termed total depravity, wh which means uh, we are born totally depraved, we are born uh, completely sinful, and our only hope is the redemption of Jesus. And, and while I believe that our hope is the redemption of Jesus and Jesus is our only hope, uh, to, to say that the, the idea of humanity is that humanity is totally depraved without looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and saying, actually, actually what God intended from the beginning was this beautiful image bearer of God, that humanity at our core, at our deepest, uh, what is embedded into our DNA is that we are created in the image of God. Are we broken? Are we fallen? Are we sinful? Do we live unhealthy uh, lifestyles at times? Do we make poor choices? Yes, yes, yes. But there is something deeper than that, and it's the image and glory of the creator God of the universe. And so when we uh, uh, approach this text, I, I, one of the things I want us to explore over the next several weeks is what does it look like to bear this image? What does it look like to recognize that deep within our center is the divine image of God? And it's 
embedded into every human being on the planet, that every human being at their deepest is an image bearer of God. Um, so when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, uh, I don't know about you, but um, I, I grew up in a context where uh, often looking at the scriptures was to uh, learn about God, was to learn about the scriptures, uh, and not as much to actually experience God and even experience the scriptures. And um, it was often like having the right answers. And one of the things about Genesis 1 and 2, for, for some people in the Christian tradition, uh, what Genesis 1 and 2 for them is uh, about proving a point or proving that they're right about the way creation unfolded. And so when we look at the scriptures, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. And, and then it goes on describing the next several days of creation. Total of six days of creation. And then... God rested on the seventh day. So there, there are some who are biblical literalists. And so they say, Bible said it, God created in six days. That's the way it happened. Uh, and you can't view it any other way. Uh, what if we embraced the mystery of God and recognized that we don't have all the answers? Uh, what if we were able to embrace something deeper about this story? And rather than uh, reading this story to have answers, I, there's this whole organization called Answers in Genesis that claims to know this is exactly what happened and how it happened, and uh, here's the answers. Uh, what if we read the Bible rather than having the right answers? What if we read the Bible in such a way that we engaged it, experienced it, and experience the living God of the universe? Uh, what if we were open to this unfolding of what God is doing in the universe and recognize that we just simply can't know all the answers? And I, that's a good thing. Uh, what if we allow, I, I, I am an advocate for uh, the intersection of faith and science. Uh, that when we embrace what science is teaching us, it should expand our view of God so much more. And we should recognize that there is a mystery that we cannot even begin to understand. Uh, part of the problem, and this comes from Thomas Berry, who's an ecological theologian, he says, although we increasingly know more about the universe and its evolutionary processes, we have less intimacy with it. We do not celebrate the universe. It has lost for us its mystical dimensions. We have come to know so much about God from our scriptures and our theological and religious traditions that somehow we have lost our sense of wonder 
It seemed that we had control of God. God became reduced to our ideas of God, and belief in God became a sterile commitment on our part. Our knowledge has not led to an expansion of our emotional feeling, our aesthetic appreciation, or our sense of the sacred, nor has it increased our wonder. Uh, what if we approached the scriptures with eyes of wonder rather than the desire to just gain more information and learn more about God, but experience the living God through this text, which tells us is living and breathing somehow mysteriously, that there, there is a way of viewing the scriptures that is different than just learning about God and having answers. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about knowledge, and uh, there's all, obviously all kinds of theories about how we learn and how we gain knowledge. I, I want to look at one, uh, Bill Plotkin. If I, can have, I think it's like four slides down. Bill Plotkin uh, talks about what he calls the four windows of knowing. He says they are thinking, feeling, sensing or intuition, and imagination. And uh, what Bill Plotkin argues, uh, and Bill Plotkin is this amazing author talking about uh, the soul and nature and human development and human consciousness, and he, he's talking about these windows of knowing, and he, uh, that he argues that in the West, what we have prioritized is thinking. And so we uh, go to school, and we sit in a classroom, and we learn, and uh, we use our intellectual capacities uh, to learn, and, and often though, the educational models we have uh, push students through in such a way that our students actually don't even learn how to think. They learn how to regurgitate facts, and, and on standardized testing, just regurgitate facts, on tests and exams, regurgitate facts, rather than actually learn how to think, let alone learn how to feel, and so the emotional intelligence of so much of humanity today has not developed the way we would hope it would develop because we haven't taught our children proper ways of feeling and engaging the world and engaging their emotions and the emotions of others uh, or sensing or imagination. I mean, it's great for a four-year-old to have an imagination, but at some point in the educational system that gets shoved out of us, doesn't it? A and it's no longer okay to have an imagination, unless of course you're a poet or an artist, then that's okay, but it's not very practical. Uh, so, Bill Plotkin argues we need all of these windows of knowing, and we need a holistic way of learning and engaging the world. Uh, and so, bringing it back to the scriptures, what if we approach the scriptures this way? What if we approach the scriptures as thinking beings, feelings beings, sensing beings, and imaginative beings? Uh, what if we looked at the Bible not as a handbook for how to live or uh, you know, this practical guide to living or uh, the thing to go to to get answers? What if we looked at it as this epic narrative that God has given us? that reveals God's heart for the world from creation to redemption to new creation. This God of the universe 
who is doing something in the world even as we speak, this unfolding narrative that God has given us that we get to be a part of. Uh, so but part of the, uh, I feel part of the danger even in a context like this on Sunday mornings is every Sunday morning I get up and talk for about 30 minutes, right? And you all listen, you're all very kind and patient and, and you listen. Uh, but it's mainly a thinking intellectual exercise, isn't it? Uh, in what way are we engaging the other senses? Hopefully we're engaging to some degree these other windows of knowing. Uh, but unless you leave here compelled in some way to live differently, compelled in some way to engage the un other windows of knowing, uh, this is just a failed exercise. Uh, part of the beauty of Sunday mornings is that we're engaging with each other, right? This is the community of the saints coming together and experiencing the life of God together. And so when you engage with one another, hopefully you're engaging all these windows of knowing. Everyone in this room is your teacher. I might be teaching right now, but everyone in this room is your teacher. And you get to experience the living God in everyone in this room. Part of why we sing and do music and, and sing songs about the love of God is so that hopefully we're tapping deeper into these windows of knowing than just simply an intellectual exercise. If, if we walk into this room and simply uh, sing these words without allowing them to absorb within us, uh, th this goes back to uh, one of the commandments uh, to not take the Lord's name in vain or to take the Lord's name lightly. If we simply sing these songs without really consciously thinking, feeling, imagining this creator God of the universe within us and within those around us and all around us, uh, then it's, uh, it's an empty exercise. Um, we moved a couple of years ago or so to partaking of communion every Sunday and there were a number of reasons why we did that. But one of the deep reasons for me of why we do that is because I don't want us to just come here and sit and listen. I want us as the community to walk together, to get up out of our chairs and walk together down this aisle as a community and to see, to engage all the senses and see these elements, smell them, feel them, taste them, and to hear the words from a fellow brother or sister in Christ say, the body and blood of Christ was given for you. When we engage all of these senses, hopefully something within us is shifting and changing every time we do that, and we experience the living Christ through each other and through these elements. Uh, if I asked, uh, it, or if I just asked you to turn to one another and share what have been some of the most amazing learning experiences for you, I would be really shocked if anyone in this room said, 
it was when I was sitting behind a desk listening to a teacher. Um, this past week, I, I got to go to uh, Montessori de Turlinda's uh, moving up uh, graduation ceremony. They, uh, in the Montessori school system, they teach in blocks, so year one through three, year four through six, where most schools here end year five and then go to middle school, Montessori keeps year six. So all the year sixers who were graduating gave a speech. And uh, I think there was, was there 11 or 13? 11? Uh, and our very own Caitlin Fetterman Riggle was one of them. And um, as I listened to these speeches, I was amazed because in the Montessori system, it's very tactile, you, very experiential, very engaging, uh, often self-motivated. And so the, they're engaging all these different learning styles. But even within the Montessori school, I was so amazed listening to these speeches, especially the speeches of children who had been in the Montessori system for six or more years now. And those who had been, when they talked about their year one to three experience, so many of them, what they said was uh, most shaping to them in the year one to three experience was when they went to Slide Ranch. Just, just down the road uh, on the Pacific Ocean, Slide Ranch. That was the most shaping experience for them. It, it wasn't in the classroom. It wasn't intellectual learning. It was something where they were outside in the physical environment and engaging all the senses. And when they talked about year four through six and what was most memorable to them, most shaping for them, for most of them, it was the camping trips that they went on, where they were outside, learning outside in these environments. Uh, I wonder for you, what, when you think about where you learned the most. My guess is it was through experiences, often outside, probably. Uh, when I think about my favorite class in my years in college, it was a class called uh, the Ecology of the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem. And it took place two weeks out in Yellowstone, the Tetons, and the five surrounding national forests. When I think about uh, the best class I took in seminary, most all my classes in seminary, sitting behind a desk listening to a teacher or engaging in the classroom. My best experience was going to Israel for three weeks and learning outside and traveling the entire country. Uh, we, there's something about our educational model that I think just needs to change, and it needs to change for the way we approach the Bible. Uh, so part of what I've been trying to do here the last several years, like when, we've, uh, when we did the series, a year-long series through the Gospel of John, for those of you who were in faith communities, I invited all the faith communities, whatever text we were looking at, whatever story in the Gospel of John we were looking at, I invited all of you to imagine yourself in the text and to write a story as if you were there asking these what are called worldview questions. Who am I? Where am I? What's wrong? And what's the remedy? Uh, or for those who might be more uh, think, think and learn differently, what if you wrote a poem about it? What if you wrote a song about it? What if you did a piece of artwork about it? Because we, we need different ways of engaging the text. So as we look through Genesis 1 and 2 the next few weeks, uh, I, I don't want to look 
at this text to have answers about how God created the world. I want to look at this text to expand our imagination, to expand our awe and wonder of God. Um, can I have that Abraham Joshua Heschel quote, last one? Abraham Joshua Heschel said, never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. I asked for wonder, and he gave it to me. Uh, I want us together to ask God for wonder. Uh, what, what would it look like if we look at images in the text, text and imagine what God is doing? So briefly this morning, I want to look at one image in the beginning of this text. The Spirit of God was hovering over the deep, over the waters. Now, in the Jewish consciousness, the sea, the waters, mean chaos. And it's, it's out of this that the explosion of light comes. God says, let there be light. Call it the Big Bang, call it whatever you want. That This amazing thing happened. God created the universe and light exploded into it. God. What, what, I think one of the things the author of Genesis is trying to show us here is that this God, this creator God of the universe, because there's all kinds of competing creation narratives, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, all, all these different uh, groups had their own creation narratives. And, and uh, this author is saying, here's ours, and, and here's something that our God is about. Our God is about bringing beauty, shalom, and order out of the chaos. And so in the Jewish consciousness, this, these chaotic waters that existed in the beginning, God birthed something new, something beautiful, shalom. And then we see this pattern continue as God's beautiful narrative unfolds. We see the chaotic waters of the flood, and out of those chaotic waters of the flood, God brings a whole new beginning. We see that the people of Israel are in chaos. They're in slavery in Egypt, and, and the story tells us that God brought them out through the chaotic waters of the Sea of Reeds, that God is always about bringing order, bringing beauty, bringing shalom out of chaos. Uh, we see God's people go through the waters of the Jordan into the promised land. Ultimately, we see Jesus come into the world. That this God, who has seen the beauty of the shalom that God has created in the world, this God has seen it broken, has seen it damaged, and this God says, I will never stop pursuing you. I will never stop pursuing this beautiful creation. And so this God comes into the world in Jesus. And what's one of the first things we see Jesus do as his ministry is beginning? He enters the waters of baptism. And in Matthew chapter 3, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him 
I am well pleased. Uh, every Jewish person reading this story, you know where their mind would go immediately? Back to Genesis 1. The spirit hovering over the waters and God saying, let there be light. And now here is this God in Jesus entering the waters of chaos and coming out in that same spirit hovering over Jesus to bring beauty and shalom and harmony back into a chaotic world. Here is the gift of God and a huge part of who God is. He brings beauty out of our chaos. Whatever chaos you are facing in your life today, wherever you find yourself, whatever brokenness, whatever you are wrestling with, whatever darkness, whatever depression, anxiety, addiction, this God comes in Jesus to enter into that chaos and bring beauty, bring shalom, bring harmony out of it. Uh, this morning, my prayer for us is that as we come and partake of the bread and the cup, I, I simply want to invite you to tap into the chaos. Where is the chaos in my life? If you can't put a finger on it for yourself, maybe there's someone in your life that you love, that you're close with, and you know they have a lot of chaos in their life. I simply want to invite you to ask Jesus, Jesus, in what way this morning are you entering this chaos? And how are you inviting me to embrace the freedom, the life, the light, the harmony, the shalom that you came to offer. Because this is what God came to do. God comes in and through Jesus, entering the chaos of our human brokenness to bring about a new tomorrow, to bring about a hope for a new way of being human. Because we don't, we don't need to come here and just get more information about God, do we? What we long for at our deepest core as image bearers of God is to experience the living God in and through us. Of course we need information, and of course we should learn about God so that hopefully we can embody God more fully. But if we just learn about God and have our theology and our doctrine and, and the right answers and everything in order, it's a useless exercise. But if we allow God to shape us and form us and do something new within us and show us that what this God is about is bringing beauty out of chaos, then we too can leave this place and say, God, where, where is the chaos in my realm of influence that you are inviting me to help bring beauty and shalom. Empower me by your spirit to live into the divine image bearer you've created me to be and to bring hope and healing where I see brokenness and despair. God, thank you for the gift of your spirit who hovers 
and brings beauty out of brokenness and hope out of hopelessness. God, I pray this morning that you would expand our vision, our capacity to see and hear and taste and touch and feel that we would embrace more fully all that you've created us for. God, that you would expand our vision for how to view this story that you've gifted us with and how to experience you more fully. God, may we be a people who experience your healing in our own chaos and may we be a people who are your healers in the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.